Lord Jesus, you said you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. You said it, Jesus, and you don't lie. You are the truth. And so thank you. Because that's not a threat. That's a promise. Thank you that you will do it in us. And I pray that you will have your way in us this morning and cause us to preach. Jesus, you know, because we've been talking about this. This morning I feel like I'm walking through a minefield. So... If you want to kill me, that's fine, Jesus. But I pray that you would help us to believe what your word says, what scripture says. And I pray that your spirit would guard us from deception. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're not worried. You've already conquered all things. So I pray you'd help us to believe it. In your name, amen. Uh, Today we are looking at what is arguably one of the most shocking chapters in all of uh, Scripture. So before we begin, I want to remind you that I didn't write it. I didn't write the Bible. And also remind you that it is illegal in the city and county of Denver to stone someone for heresy, okay? I just want to say that up front. Psalm 82, this is from the hymn book of Israel, okay? So they're commanded to, like, sing this stuff. A psalm of Asaph, verse 1. God, now this is interesting. In Hebrew, the word is Elohim, which is the plural of Eloha, or El, which means God, okay? Elohim has taken his place in the divine council, literally the El council, the God council. In the midst of the gods, Elohim, he holds judgment, Literally, Elohim has taken his place in the El Council. In the midst of Elohim, Elohim holds judgment. Or God or gods, God has taken his place in the God Council. In the midst of the gods, God holds judgment. That's pretty crazy and confusing. Blasphemous, kind of all at once. First, it's weird that God is in, the, is in the plural, but that happens all over the Old Testament, and it almost always gets translated in, in the singular. Scholars call it a plural of fullness or a plural of majesty, and yet right here we see that it can also refer to like a council or a group of, of gods, a group of gods, and yet God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord. And now, you know, in English Bibles, usually when it says the Lord in the Old Testament, that's Yahweh in the Hebrew. Why they change it to the Lord, we'll talk about it in a minute. But hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our Elohim, Yahweh is one. Literally, that can be translated, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our gods, the Lord is one. So just the word Elohim is kind of nuts. But the fact that Elohim judges in the midst of the Elohim is even, even nuttier, but not unprecedented in, in Scripture. I put footnotes in these things so you can look at the other Scriptures later if you want when you go back and look at the transcript because you'll be scratching your head. It's not unprecedented in Scripture. It appears that God has a council of gods. And no one seems to know who they are. Scholars debate this incessantly. Are they pagan deities? 
Are they angels and, and demons, kings and rulers? They don't know. Some think that the council of gods must be something like this. All right, Stanley, you can open your eyes now. This is the Hall of the Super Best Friends, Stanley. The headquarters for those who stand for what's right. Jesus, we've been working hard since we got your distress call. Who is the kid? Stanley, I want you to meet some of the Super Best Friends. Buddha, with the powers of invisibility. Muhammad, the Muslim prophet with the powers of flame. Krishna, the Hindu deity. Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet. Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism. And Seaman, with the ability to breathe underwater and link mentally with fish. So you mean to tell me that even though people fight and argue over different religions, you guys are all actually friends? More than friends, young boy. We are super best friends, with the desire to fight for justice. We all believe in the power of good over evil. Except for Buddha, of course, who doesn't really believe in evil. Wow. <laughs> well, anyway, that's the Society of Super Best Friends on South Park. Sorry, there are, the video kind of started over there a little bit in, in, in the middle. Uh, but Buddha, in the Society of Council of Super Best Friends, Buddha has the, the power of invisibility. Muhammad, the power of flame. Joseph Smith can make ice. Krishna, Lao Tzu, and the others also have superpowers. Seaman can breathe underwater and link mentally with uh, fish. In this episode, Jesus has the power of being a really, really, really good carpenter. They aren't just um, uh, the same, as evidenced by the fact that they all have uh, different powers. But, but if Jesus had a superpower, what would it be? Well, anyway, that was the Society of Super Best Friends on South Park. Together, they fight for justice. Together. But you'll notice in the video that all the scenes which depicted Muhammad were blacked out. Uh, that's done. I did that in deference to Muslims that find any depiction of Muhammad offensive. In 2010... South Park removed three episodes that depicted Muhammad, and this episode, uh, The Super Best Friends, was, was one of them. Now, it's interesting to note that's not just a Muslim sentiment. Most Bibles, as I just mentioned, don't even state the name Yahweh. For 2,000 years, Jews haven't even said the name of Yahweh. They reasoned that they might accidentally take the name of Yahweh in vain and dishonor the Lord it's kind of a strange custom considering that Joel, the prophet, clearly says whoever calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. And the prophets and the Psalms tell us to proclaim his name, Yahweh. It's strange, but, but we get the reasoning, right? We don't want to dishonor God. Muslims say, make no image of Muhammad, but before Muhammad, Yahweh said, make no image, make no graven image of me. That makes sense to us. We might mess it up, and it might mess us up, and he might mess us up. Well, anyway, some think that the Elohim, the gods in Psalm 82, are like pagan gods. And some think they're kings or rulers or, or judges. In, in that day, earthly kings were viewed as being connected to deities, almost like extensions of, of deities, and each nation had their own deity. Some think this is a reference to the leaders of Israel, the judges of Israel, the kings, the priests, the Sadducees, even the Pharisees. 82 verse 1, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? 
Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So whoever these gods are, they appear to have been charged with justice, and yet they are being unjust. They've been charged with doing right, and yet they're doing wrong. And you know, that always seems to be the case with a group of folks where some of them think that they're like God, or they try to be God. They compete. Well, we kind of all think that uh, winning is the product of other people losing, right? We kind of all think that a meaningful A is dependent on other people getting a C, D, or, or an F. We're kind of like a locker room full of boys all trying to make the team, and so each hoping that the others will strike out. We're, we're like a bus full of beauty queens, each hoping to win the pageant. We think that life is the survival of the fittest. So why would we rescue the weak? if we think it's the strong that survive? Why would we help the afflicted and the destitute if there are competitors? Why wouldn't we show partiality to the wicked if the wicked might help us beat the good? We sure wouldn't want to help the good. We'd be jealous of the good, for the good are the, you know, they're like the closest to God, and so we'd wish that the good would be bad. We think life is the survival of the fittest, so we all compete for life until... All of us are, are dead. We each hog the ball, right, which destroys the game. We each try to win the beauty pageant, which makes all of us pretty ugly. Religious folks even compete at love, which is profoundly unlovely. I think my God can beat your God, and in that way make me more godly. So of course I get offended if you disrespect my, my God, and I'll disrespect your God to prove that my God is best, and in that way make myself more godly. Anyway, some think that the counts of gods are pagan gods or bad angels. Some think that the counts of gods are kings who identify with the bad gods. Some think the counts of gods are kings trying to be God. You know, Scripture is full of stories of kings trying to be God, like the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon that God um, brings down to Sheol, like Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, whom God smites, remember, and then he's eaten with worms, like the little horn in Daniel, the beast in the Revelation, like the Antichrist. When we preach through the Revelation, we discover that we're all kind of like our own Antichrist, <laughs> that is, our own imitation Christ. We, we each tend to think that we're our own creator and our own Savior, our false creator, our false savior. We're each like men or women trying to be God. In fact, that was Satan's temptation. Take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and make yourself in the image of God. God forbids making images, and we each try to make ourselves the image of God. Isn't that ironic? We each construct an image of God in our minds, and then we try to become that image, and then we condemn ourselves to hell when we don't. 
or when we do. I mean, think about this. We're jealous of God, so we want to be God, and so try to be God, and so make ourselves miserable, forever alone, and the antithesis of the own. How does that work? Well, God owns everything. If I own everything, I can never be given anything. I can't know grace. God does everything, but if I do everything, I can't do anything with anyone. I'm alone. God is absolutely free. God does whatever he wants, but if I do whatever I want, I must destroy the wants of all who disagree with me, which means I destroy everyone but me, which means I'm free of everyone but me. I'm free, but entirely not free to love. And God is love. We're men trying to make ourselves gods and making ourselves wretched. You know, when you try to be the best, you make everyone else the worst. When you seek to be first, you make everyone else last and yourself alone. When you exalt yourself, you make yourself wretched and lonely as hell because that is hell. Psalm 82, verse 5. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. The whole earth groans as if in travail, for these gods lack knowledge of the good and so cannot judge justly. Verse 6. I said you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. All of you. I said. When did God say that? Where did God uh, say that? Who are these gods that God is talking to? Who are these sons of the Most High? Who are these sons and daughters that reflect the image of their maker? Well, Jesus tells us, maybe not on South Park, but in Scripture, John chapter 10, verse 17. Check it out when you get home talking to the Jews, as John describes them. And remember, John is a Jew, so anti-Semitism is just stupid, but talking to the, to the Jews, Jesus says this, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority, I have ecousia, I have power to lay it down, and I have power, authority, to take it up again. In verse 30 he says, I am the Father, are one. In that culture, and in most culture, you know, a son uh, was seen as being of the same substance as his father. The, the, we say that still, that's my blood, the same, same blood. Well, Jesus talks as if he and his father are two persons and one substance. Homoousion is how all the fathers talked about it, one substance. In the early church, their relationship was described as a perichoresis. It was a word used to describe the relationship between the members of the Trinity. It's the idea that God is not a static thing. God is not one enormous self-centered person that destroys all other persons in an effort to exalt him, himself, but God is more like a relentless dance of self-sacrificing love. God is three persons and one substance. God is love. God is not simply a council or a committee meeting, which is good news. 
God's not simply a council or a committee meeting. God is an ecstatic dance of self-giving, sacrificial love. God is relentless love. God is Elohim. God is one dance of at least three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Then he says this, the Jews, then John writes this, the Jews then picked up stones again to stone him. <laughs> Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which of, for which of them are you gonna stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not, it is not for a good work that we're gonna stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now this is a really fascinating thing to say to Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of, of John, for John makes it very clear that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is literally God, making himself man. And these Jews were men trying to make themselves God. They were projecting their motives onto Jesus, and so they were entirely jealous of Jesus. And so very soon they will crucify Jesus. They will take his life, the life of the good, on a tree in a garden. They were men trying to be God, and they say to Jesus, you being a man, make yourself God. Next verse, Jesus answered them. Is it not written in your law? Or your scripture, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods? Whoo! Now this is Jesus talking, okay? It's, it's Jesus, not some just now bizarre Old Testament verse, but this is Jesus. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? I think Jesus just said he is God, and the gods are us. The word of God in flesh just quoted the word of God in scripture saying that these Jews were gods to whom the word of God came, and the word of God is coming to you right now as we quote Psalm 82. I said you are God, sons of the most high, all of you. I said, when did God say that? I said you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. When did he, the only time I can think of that God said anything remotely close to that is Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Listen closely. God created man, literally the Adam in Hebrew. God created the Adam in his own image. In the image of Elohim, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. At the end of the sixth day, God looks and he sees everything that he has created is, is, is good, very, very good. And Jesus told us that God alone is good. So in God's eternal seventh day, we truly are the image and likeness of God, God's image, his sons. You know, if we believe that we are God's image, God wouldn't have to command us to make no graven image. And we wouldn't attempt to make ourselves in his image. If we believe that we were God's image, Satan couldn't tempt us to take knowledge of the good to make ourselves in the image and likeness of God. If we believed that we were gods and the sons of God, maybe we wouldn't be jealous of God. And we wouldn't be jealous of our neighbor 
Maybe we judge justly, correctly, rightly. Psalm 82.1, Elohim has taken his place in the El Council. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. Now Jesus quotes this in John 10 at the Feast of the Dedication of the Temple. John goes on to teach here and in his epistles and in the Revelation that we are the temple and the throne is in our, our hearts and God wants us to sit on that throne with him, judging angels and all creation. He wants us to sit there with him, owning everything together, doing everything together entirely free as he is free, free because his judgment of relentless love has become our judgment of relentless love. Relentless love judges from his place on the throne in the sanctuary of our hearts, the, the midst of the Elohim, the divine counsel. Listen to John 17, okay? Jesus prays this. He prays it for us. Father, I ask that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. Transitive property of geometry. If God is in Jesus, Jesus is in us, where's God? In us. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. God is a dance, and he wants you to join him. Elohim became flesh to make you Elohim. And in some amazing way, you already are, because God didn't say you will be gods. He said, you are gods. <laughs> we are. We are, and, and yet we, we become. We become gods through the word of God Almighty, our Father, the word of God hanging on a tree in a garden the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, the cross of Christ which stands at the beginning and at the end of the ages, at the beginning and the end of time. That's a lot to ponder, but whatever the case, Jesus is not a man trying to be God. Jesus is God making himself man in order that men might become gods. The early church had a word for this, theosis, often translated deification. St. Irenaeus, okay, and these are not obscure guys, these are the church fathers. Irenaeus wrote, the word became man and the son of God, son of man, so that man might become a son of God. Athanasius, St. Athanasius, Council of Nicaea wrote this, he was made man that we might be made God. Basil the Great argued, man is nothing less than a creature that has received the order to become God. Thomas Aquinas wrote this, he assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. St. Peter writes that we become partakers of the divine nature. St. Paul prays that we might be filled with all the fullness of, of, of God. He writes, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He tells us that we are Christ's body, not like his body. Sorry, I'm yelling. Um, he writes, we are his body. 
A body is a dance of life, wherein each member bleeds life into the next member. It's not the survival of the fittest. It's the sacrifice of the fittest for all and all for, for each. That's life. That's the dance of love. Well, uh, the tree in the garden, the serpent tempted Adam to take the life of the good in order to make himself like God. And at the tree in the garden, God gave the life of the good that we might know that we are the image of God. At the tree in the garden, to put it in theologically, like theological language, Satan tempted us to justify ourselves. And at the tree in the garden, God reveals that we have been justified from the foundation of the earth. At the tree in the garden, God creates faith by grace, and it is finished. Adam is finished. Humanity is finished in the image and likeness of God. At the tree in the garden, Adam dies. And at the tree in the garden, Adam is made alive. As in Adam all die, writes Paul, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Now, let's finish our psalm. Next verse, verse 6. I said you are gods, Elohim, sons of the Most High, Elion, God Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, as Adam, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, Elohim, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the people. Is that not a stunning description of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord, the eschatos Adam? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God, writes Paul. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, kenosis in Greek, uh, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself. He did not try to be God. He emptied himself of equality with God that all might know God and become the image of God. You see, Jesus had a superpower, and I think that superpower was humility. The power to lay his life down. The power to lay power down. The power to lose his life, his psyche, and find it. Jesus had a superpower, and that superpower is the revelation of God, the revelation of God's heart. Jesus is the perfect image of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So, so God said, make no images of me, and then God makes a perfect image of himself. And it turns out to be the exact opposite of what we would have made. It's a naked man, beaten almost to death, hanging on a tree in a garden, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They do not know. They do not understand. They do not judge justly. And yet he himself, bleeding his life away, is the manifest judgment of God. 
the eternal judgment of God. Islam honors Jesus as a prophet. Most of Judaism does the same, but neither will believe that God would humble himself to the point of death on a tree in a garden. And so Judaism feels the need to guard the holiness of Yahweh. Islam feels the need to guard the reputation of Muhammad. But how do Christians guard the reputation of someone who freely gives his life on a tree? How do you guard that reputation? That is his reputation. That is his holiness. That is his unspeakable glory. That is relentless love. That is his superpower. And the whole world can see it. Even on South Park, uh, it shines through. Season 11, episode 5. Okay, not all of this is literally true, but on the episode... Jesus saves Easter from, from the church. That's, that's probably true. Jesus saves Easter from the church, for the church is hiding the fact that the first pope was a rabbit. Peter the rabbit. Makes sense. Jesus wanted the popes to be rabbits because rabbits can't talk. That kind of also makes sense. Well, an evil pope replaces Pope Benedict and endeavors to kill the true descendant of, of Peter the rabbit and locks Jesus in prison with Kyle Broflovsky, a Jew. We'll never get out in time to stop him! Don't you have any superpowers? Not as a mortal. Only in death. Wait. That's it. We have no choice, Kyle. You're going to have to kill me. What? Stab me with this. If I die, I can resurrect outside the bars. No way! Do it yourself! Suicide is blasphemy. There's no choice here, Kyle. Dude, you don't understand. I I'm a Jew. I have a few hang-ups about killing Jesus. Just make it quick. Through the neck. I'll arise again immediately. Don't make me do this. My son, there is no time. Do it! Eric Cartman can never know about this. I understand. And Kyle, happy Easter. Happy Easter, Jesus. Oh! Jesus? Behold! No longer will Easter be about bunnies and colored eggs! Kill the rabbit! Sorry, little bunny. Snowball! Jesus? Stop! That rabbit is of holy descent! Why won't you go away? I love that. Why won't you go away? Why won't he go away? Because he's the foundation of reality and the revelation of the uncreated creator who is an infinite and relentless dance of self-giving sacrificial love that reveals himself as the resurrection and the life. He won't go away because he's the word of God and he has a superpower. Jesus is the first Adam that did not try to be God. He didn't try to be God because he knew that he was God. He knew that he was the beloved son in whom the father was well pleased. He believed I and the father are one. Maybe you won't try to be God if you know that in some sense you, you, 
you are God if you believe what he says, the image of God. Maybe you won't try to be God if you think you are God. And Jesus said, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God. Psalm 82, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Now that's in the Bible, okay? So don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting the, the Bible. I'm just quoting. But because I don't want to get smoted, like you know, King Herod and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, king of Tyre, and Satan, let me say that I really don't know exactly how to explain it all, but I definitely don't know how to explain it all away. So, it seems that you can consider yourself a god, but you must never ever think that you can make yourself God. But you must believe that God has made himself you. You must believe that God has made himself you, the true you. But now, before we finish, I need to remind you of the false you. To the Jews in John 10, Jesus quotes Psalm 82, saying you are God's, but to the Jews who believed in him, in John 8, Jesus literally says this, you are of your father the devil. He's a liar and the father of lies. I think Jesus says this these two things to the very same people. So first, you're spawn of the devil. But the devil is not the father of people. The devil is the father of lies, the father of false people. And you can't even have false people unless they're also true people that the lie is based on. The devil is the father of your ego or what I would refer to as your ego. Your ego is that thing with which you construct a body of sinful flesh. It's the belief that you can take knowledge of good and evil from the tree in the garden, consume it, and make yourself in the image of God. Make yourself good, make yourself God. It's the belief that you can justify yourself. Jesus never justified himself. He was not proud. He had no ego. I saw a fascinating interview with John Cleese from Monty Python. He said that they originally wanted to make a movie called Jesus Christ Quest for Glory, but they soon realized it wasn't funny because Jesus had no ego. In other words, he had absolutely no desire to protect his reputation. So instead of making Jesus Christ Quest for Glory, they made the life of Brian, for Brian is an imitation Christ, not the real Christ, and, and they're real easy to, to, to laugh at. You see, it's good to laugh at your ego, because your ego is a lie. In fact, it, it's a holy duty to not take it seriously, not at all. So first, yeah, I think at least some of the time you're probably like Spawn of the Devil, a false self trying to justify yourself, sinking deeper and deeper into darkness and lies. But secondly, you're also a true self, constructed with the very breath and blood of God. That self is Christ's self, given to you. It's Christ in you, Christ who is God. In Romans, Ephesians, and Colossians, Paul calls these two identities, the old man or the old Adam and the new Adam, created, and now I'm quoted, Quoting, created in the likeness of God. <laughs> Already created. 
We must put off the former, says Paul, and put on the latter. Paul tells us to see that the former has been crucified, and we must consider ourselves the latter, which is the righteousness of God. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ, the last Adam, are all made alive. You see, we can only be one of two things, and usually, are, we, we are, and usually we're both at the same time. We can only be one of two things, and we have made neither. You think that you made your old man, but your old man is a lie. It's a bad dream. It's a vain illusion that you must wake up from. Once you awake and expose him to the light, you'll rejoice in letting him go. In fact, you and Jesus, I think, will just like laugh him to scorn. Your old man is nothing but a vain illusion, and your new man is an eternal reality. You can't make him, for he's already been made in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's hidden in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's part of Christ Jesus our Lord. He or she is, is a God, a child, a son, a daughter of God Almighty. I, I think that means one of the Elohim. It's utterly mind-boggling when you see it. But love in you, truth in you, righteousness in you, beauty in you, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith in you is actually Christ in you. The new you. You can't make that life. You can only live that life. Why? Because it's Christ's life. He's the life. You have an old self and a new eternal self, and you cannot make either self. And once you see it, you see, I think it gives you a superpower. See, I think you are a member of the divine council, and your superpower is humility. It's the power to not be offended. It's the power to forgive as you've been forgiven. It's the power to enjoy other people. It's the power to lose yourself and then find yourself in love. Humility is not hating yourself. Humility is realizing that yourself is Jesus, that yourself is Christ, that your life is Christ, and your ego is just an evil dream. It's the realization that you can't make yourself. You can only be yourself, for yourself has already been made. Humility is eternal security and the power to never be insecure. If you try to make yourself God, you crucify God on a tree in a garden. But when you see that God has already made you himself and himself you on a tree in a garden, you join the dance that is the eternal life of God. If you believe that God has made you in his image, you won't try to make yourself in his image. If you believe that you have been justified, you will stop trying to justify yourself wherever you go. If you believe that God has made you a God, you won't try to make yourself a God or be jealous of any other God. You'll stop competing with all the other, all the other gods and begin to join the dance that is Elohim. You are a member of the body of Christ. 
A member of the body of Christ that contains all of Christ and Christ contains all of God. He flows between all his members as a river of life and the life is in the blood. Life is not the survival of the fittest. Life is the sacrifice of the fittest for all and of all for each. Life is kenosis. Life is losing yourself and then finding yourself in love. God is love and God is humble. And so he took bread and he, and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood. For 1,500 years he'd been telling him the life is in the blood. And then he said, drink of it. Drink of it, all of you. We each drink from the same cup, the same earthen vessel, and we are vessels, each that contain and channel the life of Christ. John writes this, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So I can't fully comprehend this, but, but we shall be like him, and, and he is God. You cannot make yourself better than that. And you cannot make yourself worse than that. You can only discover that. You see, each of us are different, but each of us contain the, the life of God, and when we join the dance, we discover who it is that we truly are. Little boy was crossing a, a baseball field with his bat and his ball. He said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Threw the ball up in the air, took a swing at it, and missed. Strike one! Picked at the ball and said, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Threw it up in the world, took a swing at it, strike, uh, missed, strike two! This time he stopped, he examined the ball, he examined the bat, he adjusted his hat, he, he spit in his hands, and, and one more time he threw the ball up in the air, took a swing at it, and missed. Strike three! Wow, he said. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> and you see, you really are the greatest at something in the world, and that's being you, unique in all creation. Only together do we make the team, the Elohim team. Only together do we discover who we truly are. I said you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. So why do you keep competing with each other? Envy each other, why do you not care for each other? Why don't you delight in each other? Why don't you dance with each other? Why don't you judge justly? Why don't you believe the gospel and live? I said you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. They both contain the life of God. Amen. So, Lord God, you are great. The more I know about you, the more I'm just utterly overwhelmed by your greatness. And then when I hear that I am to be like you, oh God, Dad, 
That fills me with absolute terror. If I hear that as a responsibility, because I think, how the hell am I ever to make myself like you? But oh God, when I hear it as a promise, oh, that is incredibly good news. Lord, I cannot bear that way to glory. But Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have borne that weight of glory and you give it to us. And you tell us to call your Father our Father. Oh God, you are good. You are so good. In Jesus' name, we praise you and we thank you. Amen. So Jesus says, now I'm quoting, to the Jews who believed in him. That's how John puts it. You are of your father the devil. <laughs> that would be like spawn of Satan. And then, I think to the same group, quoting Psalm 82, did I not say you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you? You see, that means that you're worse than your thought and you are infinitely better than you've ever imagined. And so is your neighbor. You, you have an old Adam, you have a false self that is comprised of all your evil decisions, and you have a new Adam, you, had a true, you have a true self who is comprised of all of God's good decisions, his righteousness manifesting in you. And now that's why coming to worship is important. That's why spending time in prayer and contemplation is important. And we're going to have a, if you want prayer, you can come forward and pray with members of the prayer team right after this. But that's why it's important in the conscious presence of Christ, because Christ is always present, but we're not always aware of his presence. But in the conscious presence of Christ, the old man is delivered up to death. God is salvation, so you're not salvation. So that lie that your salvation just gets delivered up to death and the new man is liberated he he rises from the dead in you he is eternal life in you in other words all I'm saying is believe the gospel and live in Jesus name amen